0: Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermoncast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. As I was thinking about our missionaries being here, I was reminded of uh, one of my good friends who's been, I spent a bunch of years overseas, and uh, he talked about being at a, a missionary event one time where there was a guest speaker from the States, and he was coming, and there was an interpreter there to tell the people what he was saying, to kind of give the message. And as pastors often do, he was starting off with a joke. And the interpreter realized pretty quickly this joke doesn't translate. These people will not get it. So he, as he's going along, he says, "All right, so the speaker just started a joke, and then he kind of let him go. Well, unfortunately, the joke really doesn't translate into your language. And then he continued to go. So just play along here, and at the end, I'll ask you to laugh if you would do that. And uh, so." He'd keep going on for a little, and he gets to the punchline. Okay, okay, the punchline is right here, and uh, and now there it is, and the people would laugh, and uh, the missionary had no idea what was going on there, which makes you wonder what's the message that we're giving, right? Does this does this message make any sense or make any connection with with what I'm trying to communicate? Uh, sometimes we think, what's going on here? Well. We have been looking at, at Mark's gospel for, for several months now. And we've been asking and looking at different perspectives of what the kingdom of God is all about. Jesus has told people, this is what my gospel is. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. And, and we've seen and heard from him. And, and over these last several weeks, we, we came to this time where we came into Jerusalem. And, and he goes into the temple and he just clears it out. He just he's angry and and tell and, and 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 he says these very interesting things he says my house is to be a prayer for all nations but you've made it a den of robbers and 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 in saying those things he was quoting from two passages in the old testament and 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 before we go on next week into mark 13 and some more discussions of the temple and some of the things that are about to come I thought, especially with uh, with casting off uh, Randy and Wanda today and the opportunity that they're going to be going to Niger, to, to think about what is God's what is God's plan here? What is His whole overriding thing? Because as we've been looking at this, we've had all these hints of what God is doing coming from the Hebrew Scriptures, from the Old Testament. And so I want to take a little time just to look at some of the things that it says in the Old Testament about God's overriding plan. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to a couple different places here. The, the texts will not be up there for you. So uh, Genesis chapter 12 is the first place. When God called Abraham, Abraham was, uh, was a man just living in, in his area in the land of Ur, and, and there it is. And God calls him, and he says to him, the Lord had said to Abram." and this is Genesis chapter 12, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So a couple dynamics that are going on there. One is this call of Abraham, and that he's going to have he's going to have a family. It's going to be large, and they're going to become a nation, and, and these people's Well, the fate of the world on some way is attached to them. But at that last verse there, in verse 3, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There is a sense that, that as God is choosing Abraham, he still has in mind the entire world, that God has a plan for the entire world. And that's to know him and see him. And as he calls Abraham... He's calling them not to be special so that they can say, look at us, we're God's special people. But to be his tool, to bring a message to others, to be a light saying, the God of the universe made you and cares about you. And that's why we're here. This message gets carried along in the next book of the Bible in Exodus as as God calls Moses because this people who grew to be very large a famine came to the land, and they moved to the land of Egypt. And, and while they're being there for centuries, and inevitably, or in, and eventually they become enslaved there because the, they're so populous and, and they need to be controlled by the Egyptians is what they think. And, and so they were having rough times there, and they called out for God, and he remembered them and brought them out of Egypt. And as he brought them out on, after Passover and, and across the Red Sea, and they were coming to the place that God had called them to, it says, and this is in Exodus chapter 19, it says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Okay, so they'll be the treasured possession. Again, there was this opportunity to say, yes, we are God's treasured possession. But then then the next verse continues on and says, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, which makes you question, what is a kingdom of priests? We have priests, and what do priests do? Well, they serve people on behalf of God, and God's temple generally is why we think of that. And, and so a whole kingdom of priests, if the whole kingdom, the whole nation is priests, who are they serving? The entire world. God sets them up as this kingdom of priests to serve the world. They will be a holy nation. Holy means to be set apart. You are set apart. Why? Just because to look special? No, because they have a special purpose. And the purpose has always been for God's people to direct others to know God himself. This is God's plan at the beginning. It has always been his plan that the people of the world... Might know him, and so when Jesus comes along and he is, he is walking through the, the the temple and clearing it out this this area where the that the court of the Gentiles where there was animals and people and money changers and 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 he's clearing them out and as we looked at this that story in Mark chapter eleven fits into this context of of Jesus and his interactions with the fig tree the Fig tree did not have fruit. And so Jesus, Jesus cursed it, which is like, okay, Jesus, are you a little hangry today? Why, why are you have this attitude about this fig tree when it shouldn't even have fruit yet based upon what time of the year it is? But there's that story. And then on the next day, after he cleanses the temple, the, the disciples notice that this tree, this full-grown tree, all of a sudden is withered from its root. It's dead. Jesus' condemnation comes and, and, and that fits in between the temple because the temple was no longer doing what it was supposed to be doing. It was supposed to be a place for all people to come to know God, but they had set it up so that there was places that Gentiles could come and no further. You couldn't have access past this one particular place. And Jesus says, this is not as how it's supposed to be. When he quotes that verse, it comes from Isaiah chapter 56. And and in Isaiah 56, uh, there's an amazing passage talking about what God's plan and destiny is. And and so starting in verse 1, this is God's message through the prophet Isaiah. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others besides those already gathered. Uh, Jesus quotes this, and as he quotes the one verse of it, he's he's bringing the whole brunt of it in there. This idea of foreigners and eunuchs. Uh, uh, there's there's this passage in Deuteronomy 23. It talks about how some of the foreigners are going to be restricted from their access to the assembly of God, and and to those who are eunuchs who have had something happen to their private parts. That that there was a forbidding of them being anywhere. As part of the Lord's assembly, and and yet here in, in Isaiah 56, that's completely turned over. And the message is what? All people are to be welcomed and to come and be part of my people. We if you build a temple, it is to be for all nations. And at Jesus' time, the history of what happened with First the one temple, and then it was destroyed. And now, now this, this next temple, which was built by Herod, there was restrictions and there was prohib- prohibitions for those who were not part of the people of Israel to have part in it. And Jesus' message is, this is not what this is supposed to be about. This is supposed to be a place for everyone. Everyone is to have access to God Himself. Well, one more passage here, and that comes from Psalm chapter 96. And in Psalm 96, the song about praising the Lord and giving Him the glory that He so richly deserves, it starts off this way Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him. All the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness And the people is in his truth. There's this repetition in there all through here. That is, the coming to the Lord to give him the praise and the glory he deserves is not just a thing for the people of Israel, but for all the nations, for all the world. This is something that all are called to. God's message has always been intended that it go forth from just our local place here but to bring it to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus comes and and, and cleanses this temple temple and brings this message. This is not okay. This is not God's will. This is not God's plan. God's plan is for everyone to have access and and availability to be part of His assembly. And so as we think of, of, of missionaries and the call that they have To bring forth the message of the Lord Jesus. That's what this is all about. That's why we're here. That's why we've been called. God has come in our path and our presence to show us and to to lead us and guide us into directing his message of love to the whole world. I have a couple quotes from... From some people talking about this idea of missions in the world. First comes from, well, maybe an unlikely source, Hans Kung, in his book, The Church as the People of God. He says, A church which pitches its tents without constantly looking for new horizons, which does not continually strike camp, is being untrue to its calling. We must play down our longing for certainty, accept what is risky, and live by improvisation and experiment. Basically, saying that, that being comfortable and sitting one spot and, and, and just enjoying what we have is not what this is all about. We need to look for new horizons to strike camp and move on because this message, this calling that we have, is bigger than this. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he says this and quite stridently not called did you say not heard the call i think you should say put your ear down to the bible and hear him bid you go bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin put your ear down to the burdened agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat, and you go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Mike Statura, who was uh, head of Operation Mobilization for some time, says the mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. And then finally, A.B. Simpson, who was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, he said the Christian is not obedient unless he is doing all in his power to send the gospel to the heathen world. Uh, Well, these, these, these reflections and quotes, these are not just, guys who really like missions, but they're guys who are grounded well in the scriptures of the Lord. The scriptures, whether they're Old Testament through to New Testament, this is always God's plan. Jesus, when he comes back from the dead and he's talking with his disciples in Luke 24, says, this has always been it, that the message might go to the entire world. This is God's plan. And something that we are called to be a part of. And so again, as we think of Wanda and, and Randy and, and their mission and being called off to that, we're excited to be a part of sending this message further. Because this matters. It matters incredibly. Nabil Khrushche, Nabil Khrushche, a group of Muslim, In fact... He grew up as part of the Quraysh tribe, which was Muhammad's tribe. And he writes about his life. Our family stood over Islamic tradition. The words my ancestors passed down to me were more than ritual. They came to define my life as a Muslim in the West. Every day I sat next to my mother as she taught me to recite the Quran in Arabic. Five times a day I stood behind my father as he led our family in congregational prayer. By five, I had recited the entire Quran in Arabic and memorized the last seven chapters. By age 15, I had committed the last 15 chapters of the Quran to memory in both English and Arabic. It is one thing to be steeped in remembrance, it is quite another to bear witness. My grandfather and great grandfather were Muslim missionaries, spending their lives preaching Islam to unbelievers. By middle school, I had learned how to challenge Christians whose theology I could break down just by asking questions. Focusing on the identity of Jesus, I would ask, Jesus worshiped God. So why do you worship Jesus? Or, Jesus said, The Father is greater than I. How could he be God? And if I really wanted to throw Christians for a loop, I would ask them to explain the Trinity. They usually responded, It's a mystery. In my heart, I mocked their ignorance, saying, the only mystery here is how you can believe in something as ridiculous as Christianity. Bolstered by every conversation I had with Christians, I felt confident in the truth of Islam. I loved it. I boldly issued the call of Islam to anyone and everyone who would listen, proclaiming that there is no God but Allah and that Muhammad is his messenger. And it was there atop the minaret of Islamic life that Jesus called me. As a freshman at Old Dominion University in Virginia, I was befriended by a sophomore, David Wood. Soon after, he extended a helping hand. I found him reading a Bible. Well, incredulous that someone as clearly intelligent as he would actually read Christian sacred text, I launched into a barrage of apologetic attacks From questioning the reliability of Scripture to denying Jesus' crucifixion to, of course, challenging the Trinity and the deity of Christ. Well, David didn't react like other Christians I had challenged. He did not waver in his witness, nor did he waver in his friendship with me. Far from it. He became even more engaged, answering the questions he could respond to, investigating the questions he couldn't respond to, and spending time with me through it all. Even though he was a Christian, his zeal for God was something I understood and respected. We quickly became best friends, signing up for events together, going to classes together, and studying for exams together. All the while, we argued about the historical foundations of Christianity. Some classes we signed up for just to argue some more. And after three years of investigating the origins of Christianity, I concluded that the case for Christianity was strong that the Bible could be trusted and that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and claimed to be God. Then David, well, he challenged me to study Islam as critically as I had studied Christianity. I'd heard from Muhammad. I'd learned about Muhammad from imams and my parents, not from the historical sources themselves. So when I finally read the sources, I found that Muhammad was not the man I had thought Violence and sensuality dripped from the pages of his earliest biographies. The life stories of the man I revered as the holiest in history. Shocked by what I learned, I began to lean on the Koran as my defense. But when I turned an eye there, that foundation crumbled just as quickly. I relied on its miraculous knowledge and perfect preservation as a sign that it was inspired by God. But both beliefs faltered. Overwhelmed and confused by the evidence for Christianity and the the weakness of the Islamic case, I began seeking Allah for help. Or was he Jesus? I didn't know any longer. I needed to hear from God Himself who He was. Thankfully, growing up in a Muslim community, I'd seen others implore Allah for guidance. The way that Muslims expect to hear from God is through dreams and visions. And the summer after graduating from Old Dominion, I began imploring God daily. Tell me who you are. If you are Allah, show me how to believe in you. If you are Jesus, tell me. Whoever you are, I will follow no matter the cost. And by the end of my first year in medical school, God had given me a vision and three dreams. The second of which was the most powerful In it, I was standing in the threshold of a strikingly narrow door, watching people take their seats at a wedding feast. I desperately wanted to get in, but I was not able to enter because I had yet to accept my friend David's invitation to the wedding. When I awoke, I knew what God was telling me, but I sought further verification. It was then that I found the parable of the narrow door in Luke chapter 13. God was showing me where I stood. But I couldn't still walk through the door. How could I betray my family after all they had done for me? By becoming a Christian, not only would I lose all connection with the Muslim community around me, my family would lose their honor as well. I began mourning the impact of the decision I knew I had to make. On the first day of my second year of medical school, it became too much to bear. Yearning for comfort, I decided to skip school, returning to my Apartment. I placed the Koran and the Bible in front of me. When I turned to the Koran, there was no comfort there. For the first time, the book seemed utterly irrelevant to my suffering, irrelevant to my life. It felt like a dead book. With nowhere left to go, I opened up the New Testament and started reading. Very quickly, I came to the passage that said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Electric. The words leapt off the page and jump-started my heart. I could not put the Bible down. I began reading fervently, reaching Matthew ten thirty-seven, which taught me that I must love God more than my mother and father. But Jesus, I said, accepting you would be like dying. I will have to give up everything. The next verses spoke to me, saying, He who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus was being very blunt. For Muslims following the gospel is more than a call to prayer. It is a call to die. I knelt at the foot of my bed and gave up my life. A few few days later, the two people I loved most in this world were shattered by my betrayal. To this day, my family is broken by the decision I made and it's excruciating every time I see the cost that I had to pay. But Jesus is the God of reversal and redemption. He redeemed sinners to life by his death, and he redeemed a symbol of execution by repurposing it for salvation. Jesus reached me through investigations, dreams, and visions, and called me to prayer in my suffering. It was there that I found Jesus. To follow him is worth giving up everything. Nabil has written a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, A Devout Muslim's Journey to to Christ, and, and talks about this journey of looking for truth and finding, in the midst of his confidence, well, finding that Jesus has answers and that the call to know Jesus hit him. And he pursued that. And this is why, like David would, we reach out to people. We get to know them and talk with them about life, about faith, about Jesus. This is why people like Randy and Wanda go to Niger to talk about Jesus because this is important. The God of the universe wants people to know him. And so we go to bring all people together to worship him, to ascribe to the Lord, almighty ones. That is our call. And so in your life, where is God calling you? What is he directing you towards? What is this next step for you, this new horizon, this striking camp? Where does this leave us as a church? Where do we go? I think like the Beal, I think we start off by putting an ear and listening and calling for God to answer us. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, we we come before you this this day and we thank you for, well, we thank you for opportunities to hear from a brother and sister and, and the call you've placed on their lives and the direction that they're going and well, Lord, we ask their blessing on them and, uh, and your guidance, your supply throughout all. But as we consider them and, and consider as well your call to all of us, we, uh, we just we're asking for your help. We're asking that you will give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're, you're doing around us and calling us to. And Lord, help our hearts to be sensitive to what that call is. We, we come before you asking for your direction. We, we bring all this to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.